Thanks for listening to the High Street Young Adults Podcast. For more information and how to get connected, check out highstreet.org slash youngadults. that you're here. My name is Jared Bone. I'm the Young Adults Pastor, and I'm excited to be with you today. Hey, we are starting a series tonight uh, that ends in question mark, but we're, we're starting in the book of Colossians. If you have your Bible, you can go ahead and open up to Colossians 1. Uh, tonight, we're going to be dealing with a little bit of like an overview of the book. Who's it to? What's it talking about? Because when you look at a letter, if you just pulled out a random email from my account or a random letter that went out of my mailbox, you need to know where it's sent who it's sent to, what the purpose is. It's different from a birthday card that I'm sending to one of my parents than it is a thank you note than it is a letter to my insurance company, right? Like all those letters have different purposes. Uh, So tonight we'll be talking about a couple of different things. We'll be in Colossians 1. Um, We're titling this full send because these were people that had some different allegiances. And as we start tonight, I just wanna ask you the question, what's your greatest and first allegiance? When everything else leaves, what's your greatest and first allegiance? As you think about that to yourself, um, I, I was thinking through how to, how to communicate that best. And I think it was about three hours ago, two hours ago, I learned that I'm probably not the best American parent. Um, I have three boys and uh, after I kind of got done everything that I needed to today before I left, uh, I, I like went home to see my boys for just a couple minutes before I came back up to church. and. I picked up my boys and we were gonna to go to the playground and as we were driving, we passed Chick-fil-A on Campbell and uh, Sunshine. And as we're driving past my oldest son, Thatch, he's, he's super inquisitive and like he asks a lot of questions and he's asking a lot of stuff about COVID and just weird, weird questions. And he like looks out the window and he goes, dad, what's that thing that goes like this? And I was like, but I don't, I'm looking, I'm like, I don't see anything that's moving outside. And so I'm like, where is it? He's like, right there. And I'm like, I don't see, there's like some plants that are blowing in the wind. And I'm like, but that's just, it's just a building. It's just Chick-fil-A. You've, you've been there a hundred times. And eventually he's like, no, 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 that really tall thing. And I looked up and the really tall thing that he's talking about was a flagpole. And on top of the flagpole was the American flag, old glory flying in the wind. And I said, Thatch, what are you talking about? And he goes back and he does the international sign for like this thing. And he does the American flag. And I was like, here he is. He's pushing four years old and he doesn't know what the American flag is. And I was like, man, I I need to take back. I haven't done things right, apparently. I don't know. I don't know if I've done something wrong. I I don't know. But it it just made me start thinking like that, that kind of fits what we're talking about tonight where he's an American citizen. He has his allegiances. But me as a parent, I'm more concerned with his allegiances to God, with his allegiances to obedience to me, with his allegiances to family, right? With his understanding of the Bible. So we sit down at night and we try to read through his children's storybook Bible. We don't sit down and listen to American history. That's important. Those things are good. But his first allegiance, I'm hoping that I can create in his life, is to God. So we're, when we're talking about Colossians, it's a, it's a people that they're from the city of Colossae. It's, it's a weird word. You see it in, I think, the second or, third, second or third verse, if you want to read it. And by the way, if you don't have your Bible today, that's not a concern. All the verses that I use will be up on the screen. There should be a Bible right in front of, the, front of you. Um, or you can go to, it's called the Bible app. It's super easy. It has all the books. You can put them in alphabetical order and find the one that you're looking for. Um, but all the verses that we'll use today are on the screen. 
But this, this city of Colossae was in a, a place called Rome, and you've probably heard of Rome. Um, Rome was sprawling. It was in power from about 47 AD until about 1450 uh, BC, sorry, I had those backwards, BC and AD, but 1500 years. And it basically eclipsed everything that surrounded the Mediterranean Sea. It was big, it was strong, and it was powerful. But they really had three things that they promised everyone that was within their territory. And the people of Colossae, the people that Paul is writing this letter to, have this allegiance to both Rome and God, and it's kind of at battle within themselves. So when Paul writes this letter, he's kind of speaking to their their Romanness, but also trying to let them know, like, listen, I think if you just fully understood the power of God, if you fully understood what he's done in your heart if you're a believer— then there would be no close allegiance. It wouldn't be Rome and Christ. It wouldn't be Christ and Rome. It wouldn't be anything. It would be Christ and everything else. The empire of Rome promised three things. They're gonna be on the screen for you, but the first is provision. They were big. They had power. Like I said, they, they covered 1,500 years of power. Like, the United States isn't even 300 years old, and we're like, man, this is pretty good. Like, we're, we've done pretty well for ourselves. 1,500 years they were in power. They eclipsed most of modern Europe from the UK all the way to India. I mean, their power was massive. And they had this kind of promise. They were really strong in propaganda of showing you that like, hey, we are the way. They would have songwriters write songs about who they were. They would have artists draw and, and, and paint things about how great Rome was so that you'd be walking around and you'd go, man, Rome must be really great. They had these songs that they would write and say that like Rome, once, they were, once a city was conquered by Rome, became a Roman city. Well, then the crops started to grow again. We have growth, provision like we've never had before. But probably the number one thing that, divide, that, that defined Rome during this season was the Roman series of roads, that they had a system of roads that had never been seen before. Nothing like it. The, the way that they're paved, the way that they organize them. There are bridges that are still intact today. I can't put up a fence post that'll stay, but they can put up bridges that will last for 2,000 years. Unbelievable. I, I mean, to, to take someone that, I mean, you're dealing with like carts and trying to get horses through and, and you just can't to like, yeah, you hop on the Roman road, you can be anywhere you want. I mean, really the only equivalent modern day is like no internet to internet. I mean, a massive change where they really did shrink the world of their time, where it really paid to be a Roman citizen. It paid to be someone who was in with the Roman government that they promise their people provision. The second thing that you see is peace. They had the, the Latin word pax almost everywhere. They had songs written about pax. That, that's the, the Latin word for peace that they, they said, hey, there, there's two ways of living if you're gonna be near Rome. You can either live and be on the outskirts and we can promise you there won't be peace for very long because we'll come and we'll conquer your city and we will do it by force and we'll do it in a violent way that there won't be much left of what you have. Or you can come willingly, that we'll just bring you in, we'll have you pay taxes, and you can be a Roman citizen, and you can be involved in what is honestly kind of crazy of like a long series of peaceful time for them. Outside of the empire, not much peace. Inside the empire, they promised a decent amount of peace, and they tried to show their people that. 
The third thing that you see is procedure. They promise their people procedure. And what, what that word really means is justice. And that kind of goes hand in hand with peace, right? That we see that in culture right now. If you don't have justice, there won't be peace. That you will cry out in any way that you can because of an injustice. Well, they had such a, a, a complicated and, and honestly like, like a well-oiled machine for their, their, their system of justice that, that people loved it. It worked across the, the span of their power, across the, the breadth of their power. That really what they argued for was this judgment of action and not intent. So if I went to go harm you and I, I hurt someone, they would say, listen, I can have an eyewitness for what Jared did, but I can't determine what his heart did. They, they didn't have things like hate crimes. They, they, they would just say, listen, we saw you hurt that person. This is the crime that you will have committed. I, I was listening to one uh, commentary on this and it talked about how one of the clearest ones was for a father that he could have an inheritance. And if he chose to put none of his children in his will, he, he chose to exclude his children from his will, the children upon his death could file an injunction and say, hey, we're entitled to at least 25%. What the judge would then do was interview the children, come in and bring witnesses and say, if you've been bad children, you're entitled to nothing. But if you've been good children, you're entitled to 25%. They had this kind of cut and dry this is the way the law works. It was understood by everyone in their power. I mean, I mean, they promised some things that most people would look at and say, this is what I need. It, powerful for a long time. Conquered in a way that no one wanted to cross them. To see that they offered provision. To see that they offered peace. To see that they offered procedure. They were not just people that lived in a small city. They, they were people that had this kind of internal identity crisis of which one are we first? Are we Christians or are we Roman citizens? Because everything I see around me, all of the propaganda that I know, all of the signs, all of the songs, all of the art says you're a Roman citizen. They can bring you these things. This is what's most important. But then I have Jesus too, so I'm not really sure which one plays into another. And Paul kind of sits down and he says, listen, it's not about either of those. It's not about Rome. It's only about Jesus, if you only knew. I had a professor when I was at Missouri State, one of my favorite professors, a political science professor, he did a lot of research. And he talked about um, how you can just send out a poll and how polls don't really help. He had this kind of interesting view on things where you could send out a poll and you could get some flat data back, right? I could, I could send a poll and say, who are you voting for? Get that, that back, have a little bar graph of who you're voting for and that's, that's what we have. But he, he would argue that, that you could get better results when you add a variable in. So this is what he did most of the time. He would send out, and he did a lot of like political, religious type of, of polls, but he would send out 500 um, polls to parishioners, to clergy, to pastors in a certain denomination. And a section of those pastors would get just the, the poll. And a lot of times it was about like social justice issues. Um, about welfare programs and about abortion and, hey, tell me what you think about these, yay or nay or undecided. And, and you'd get that baseline, hey, you got nothing. And then he would send them in and say, hey, tell me first what Jesus says about social justice issues. And they would write down, well, this verse and this verse and this verse. And then they would have to go and answer those social justice questions, those social issues. 
And he'd prime the pump in different ways and prime them to think in a certain way so that when you came to those second set of questions, you had to answer, okay, I was just thinking about how Jesus would answer that, so how would I answer that? And it caused this kind of tension in their hearts to go, okay, which one am I allegiant to first? And I think that, that while this is what the, the church of Colossae was dealing with, this is very much what we deal with. That what are you allegiant to? What's your first allegiance? What's your first obedience? I'm going to read the first couple verses in, in Colossians 1, 3 through 5. He says, we always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. First of all, he starts off with just thanking God for them. Paul never writes people and says, man, I'm, you, you guys are awesome. You guys are the stuff. I'm so thankful for you. You guys are great. No, he says, I thank God for you. And he says, I see two signs. I see two pieces of evidence in your life. Those are, since we heard of your faith in Christ, and then he says, for the love that you have for all the saints. Now, those are two things that are often hard to live together. A lot of times we see those separate. Man, it's easy for me to love people. God, I don't get so much. Or on the other side of things, you and God are good, but man, I don't, I don't love his people. I don't love the people that, and Paul's saying, hey, I've got evidence of you and God, because I see both. It's your relationship with Christ and your relationship with people. But in verse five is really where you see the evidence of that. He says, you have those two things because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. And my question tonight, if you don't hear anything else, answer this question to yourself. Where does your hope come from? Where does your hope come from? If everything else left, where would you have hope? I have been to more funerals in the last year than I've ever been in my entire life. From a 75-year-old yesterday to my one-month-old nephew a year ago, and about four or five in between. Father, time is undefeated. We might be young adults, 18 to 30 something, you're in the prime of life, it has a clock on it. You don't know how long you're gonna live. What's your hope? Is your hope in making it the best today that it's ever going to be? Because that's not promised. Is your hope in making yourself the best version of yourself? Is, it, is your hope in the beautification of yourself? Because at 25, it's, you're probably gonna look as good as you ever look. And for me, that's, man, it, it's been downhill since about 14 years old, I think. It's not a good thing. But that's got a clock on it. Give it 20 years. Give it 30 years, give it 40 years, and that beauty that what you once held on to now becomes a sad thing. If you're a 60, 50-year-old woman that, that, man, you're just trying to look 25, nobody wants that person around, goodness, right? What if it's your finances? Man, if, if 2008 and 2020 have taught us anything, it's that the markets could go at any time and we're not promised anything. And really, if money's your thing, if beauty's your thing, what are you measuring against? Is it just your neighbor? Is it the people you graduated with? 
Man, as long as I'm making more than the guy next to me in my cubicle, I'm good. Is it to live for the biggest thing that you possibly can? Because there's somebody that's doing it bigger. Is it to be the, I mean, I mean, what the prevailing thought is, is that, listen, I'm going to put my hope in just being the best person that I can be. I'm just going to be a good person. And again, my question would be, against who? Because we've all done stuff that's wrong. You've all done something. I've done something. We've all done things that we're not proud of. What's your hope in? What is it that if it left you, you would just be absolutely 100% devastated? Listen, sitting at a funeral and watching family roll in, watching parents of a young child, watching the daughter of someone who just passed away, You can see who has their hope rooted in heaven and who has their hope rooted in whatever's here. And Paul starts to kind of chip away and to kind of show them and just shine some light on, man, it it can't be anything except what's laid up for you in heaven. Where does your hope live? That fortunately right now, we're reading this book called Colossians and we have the benefit of having history. These were people that would have gone, man, Rome sounds so good. What they're doing is so strong. No one's ever done it like Rome and they were right. But now we read about Rome in history books. We see Rome and go, man, I I can point to you all their problems. I can point to you the ruins that they built, but... They're not doing so well anymore. The hope of Rome didn't last. Is your hope in something that will last? Or is your hope in something that 5, 10, 30, 50 years down the line won't be there for you anymore? That we have an opportunity to root our hope in something that's eternal. And that's why we talk about having a full sin, that why we, why we full sin into what God is doing. Because I would hate, I couldn't live with myself if I went home and said, hey, you can have everything that you want. You can do everything that the culture is telling you you can do and just sprinkle in a little bit of Jesus. When he says, listen, I think if you just understood, I think if you just had a taste of who I am, if you had a taste of how much I loved you, the Roman Empire would not seem quite as big or as strong as you think it is. Because that Mediterranean Sea that it surrounds, I created it. I laid the floor of that ocean bed. I filled it with water. The the things that you build with, I created the things that you fight against and you struggle to build. I've built things 10,000 times better in the blink of an eye 
Why? Because I'm God. And that God is not a God who is distant from you. That God is a God who intimately knows you and wants to have a relationship with you. So I want to ask you, what's your hope in? Do you have a little bit of hope in Jesus? And you're trying to fill your life with other things? Or is your full hope in Christ? This is the way Paul starts this letter off. And I'm going to transition into verses 9 and 10 here in just a second. And he starts a petition. And he's asking these believers, these people that consider themselves Christ's followers, a question. And he phrases it this way. He says, and so, from the day that we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Listen, he says it this way. So walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God. I I, want to take away the mystery on some of those words. When he says knowledge of his will, that's one of those church words that you're like, what's God's will? God's will is God's heart. I want you to have knowledge and understanding of his will. And when he stops and says spiritual wisdom, he's talking about practical know-how from God. God wants you to know what his heart is so that you can make decisions and not wonder, man, is God mad at me? And when he says understanding, the discernment in decision-making, to know the heart of God and be able to move forward with what it is that God loves and wants. Here's the thing. I know and love my wife. I know my, my wife's heart. I know her will. I know that when we go on a date, she does not love the Waffle House like I love the Waffle House. I love the Waffle House so much, I want to make it a Waffle Home. Amen? I, but I, I will... Say this, I I will not go to a Waffle House during the daylight. It's a nighttime thing only. So that's just, I don't know what that is. But I know that when I take my wife out on a date, one of the things that's not on the table is the Waffle House, right? She just doesn't like it. So my wife's will, my wife's heart, my wife's decisions are not, I mean, do you think that Tyler would like to go to the Waffle House tonight? No. She doesn't want to see how many jukebox songs I can get to play Kelly Clarkson for everybody who's in there. That's not what she likes to do. It's what I like to do. The same thing. God wants us to have such a deep and intimate relationship with his word, with his love letter to us so that we can have spiritual wisdom, so that we can have understanding, so we can know his heart, so that we can make decisions and know that this is God's heart, this is God's will, so that we're not walking around with clipped wings wondering, man, is this going to make God upset? Is this really what God has for me? That God wants us to live in a way that we can move forward going, I, I, I know the heart of God. I know what it is that he wants me to do. So I'm just going to serve. I'm just going to be with his people. I'm going to love the people that God's placed around me that I can have spiritual wisdom. I can have understanding. You can have that discernment. He says that. So in verse 10, he says, so given that information, walk, and we we talked about last week when Paul says the word walk, oftentimes he's saying live, be, exist, make decisions, walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. That's character that contains Christ. He wants us to live in a way that as we make decisions, that's our first allegiance, to walk in a manner worthy of Christ. I was thinking, I represent this church. When I speak, it goes out on 
our Facebook, on our Instagram, on our YouTube. I speak on behalf. I carry the banner of our ministry. And if I physically went around downtown and I was carrying a banner that said High Street Church, I better walk in a way that is worthy of that church. I better use my words in a way. I better treat people in a way that my character reflects and responds with what our church believes in. And what he's saying here is that, hey, I want you to walk in a way that is worthy of the person whose banner you carry. And don't hear what I'm not saying. He's not saying, hey, if you learn to live in a way that you can walk worthy of the Lord, man, God loves you so much. He loves you because you're able to do that. No, that's not the order that it works in. We get that backwards. That because our hearts have been changed by him, because we see our brokenness and we hand it over to him and we say, God, I'm yours, everything. He says, okay, now I've made you mine. Now walk worthy of that calling. Fully pleasing to him. And then he says, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Bearing fruit. I think a lot of times we walk around and we say, why is it that my heart doesn't bear any fruit? Why is it that so-and-so's life, why is it that I see that good things are happening in their life? Well, it's because it's coupled with walking in a manner worthy. That's obedience. We see someone with fruit, and you don't always see the obedience living underneath. Obedience is that soil. Obedience is that watering. Obedience is the sunlight that we go, man, I just see the fruit on the tree. Fruit's an incredible thing. Fruit tastes good, it's sweet, it smells good, it has an aroma, and ultimately, fruit is meant to go out somewhere, and it carries seeds to a spot, right? It dies, seeds go in the ground, and another thing is planted. Man, how incredible, how attractive would it be to have sweetness, aroma, reproduce who you are. And I think a lot of Christians walk around and go, why is it that I don't have those things in my life? But we don't see the obedience that's been watering that tree for such a long time. And Paul's going, man, I want you guys to be such an aroma, such a sweet thing to the people around you. Marry your life with obedience. And you're wondering, what obedient to what? Read God's word and do what it says. I was talking to a college student today who's in his last year at school, and I was like, man, what's your, what, what's your thing? What, what are you doing when you graduate, when you're back, back home, when you're doing what you, and he was like, honestly, I don't know. He was like, I feel like I just keep saying yes to God, and good things keep happening. He was like, I don't have any advice for you then. Keep doing that. Keep saying yes to God, and see what happens. You don't have to know everything. I got my two-year degree at a community college, and people kept telling me, you'll take a class, you'll find your thing. You'll know what you're thinking. All right, I finished community college and went, I kind of liked economics classes. I don't know. So I got an economics degree. And I went, I don't know what I'm going to do with that. I told people I wanted to work at the, uh, the Federal Reserve Bank of St. Louis. And I wanted to. I thought that would be fun. But I had a year before my wife graduated where I was just working at a bank in town. And I got so, I was just like, I got to do something. So I just kept showing up here at the church. I just kept showing up with stuff with Kyle. I just kept doing whatever it is that was asked of me and some things that weren't that I think it made it easier for Pastor Eddie that said, if I could pay you, then I could actually tell you what to do and tell you to leave sometime. 
But I just kept saying yes to what God had for me. That some of us need to stop worrying about left and right and just say, God, I'm just going to say yes to the simple things that your word tells me to do. Your word tells me to kill the sin in my life. I'm going to try to kill the sin in my life. Your word tells me to glorify and honor you with my words. I'm going to try to do that. Your word says to be a light to the people around me. I'm going to try to do that. I'm not going to be perfect at it, but I'm going to try. Have you been obedient with what God's called you to today? That will equal fruit in increasing in the knowledge of God. That's attracted to everybody. You're a citizen of heaven. Live like it. These people had hope laid up for them in heaven so they could love the people around them and go, this is not my final destination. This is not the spot that ends everything for me. So you know what? If I get mistreated, that's okay. I'll be all right. If I don't have my favorite spot to serve, oh, that's okay, I'll be all right. My hope's laid up in heaven. So here, if I don't get my thing, I'm good. Live like you are a citizen somewhere else. And people will come and say, what is it about you? Live like you're a citizen somewhere else. Colossians 1, 12 through 14, it says this. It says, they're giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. I'm just going to stop there. And I remember reading that a couple of months ago and just getting hung up fully, like could not read anymore on the word qualified. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you. That we have a Father in heaven who... Man, it is so easy to disqualify anyone and everyone, including yourself. Well, if you would have known what I did in high school, if you would have known the depths of what I've done in college, I would be disqualified. If you know what he did, I would disqualify him. But I don't get to choose who qualifies. The one with the power chooses qualification. I remember watching the Olympics a couple years ago. Rest in peace, Olympics. We're supposed to have that this year. But I remember watching the Olympics, and it was some weird sport like curling. I mean, this is so interesting. And these guys would do something. They're sweeping this stone, and this person would blow a whistle. And I didn't know what was happening. They're like, oh, he got disqualified because he did the thing. The people with the power are the ones who get to qualify and disqualify. That you have a Father in heaven who is fully ready, willing, and able to qualify you, to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. When the Bible talks about inheritance, Ephesians 2 says he'll show us the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us. It's immeasurable, the amount of grace the amount of forgiveness, the amount of kindness. He's never gonna stop forgiving you. He's never gonna stop showing grace to you. He's never gonna stop showing kindness to you. Because the amount that he loves you, it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what disqualified you. He's the father who gets to choose who gets his inheritance. And that's where your citizenship lies. In heaven with a place that we could have never worked towards. 
I found a story. I was going to read it, but I'm just going to tell you there were two brothers that lived in Budapest, and they were so, they were homeless. They lived in a cave, and they would sell scrap metal for money. But they had a rich grandmother that they never knew anything about because their parents were so evil and mean to them. Both of their parents had died and they never knew. Their parents had cut ties with them. But when their grandmother died, their names got passed down and no one knew where this inheritance was supposed to go. And it went to this social worker that dealt with homeless people and she was holding on to these two names and she never knew when they were gonna come in town, but when they did, they went from being penniless and living in a cave to having $112 million. And they were quoted as saying, we don't even know what to do with a week's worth of wages, much less $112 million. That's an amount of money that you could live off for the rest of your life, but some people could spend all of it and it would run out at some point. But we have a Father in heaven who has immeasurable kindness towards us. Eternity is literally, you, your life ends. And if you know Christ, you spend forever with Him. Not just 25 years, not just 50 years, not just 75 years, not just 100 years. We spend forever with Him just going, man, I wonder if I could get to the depths of, I wonder if I could reach the bottom of the kindness and the goodness and the grace of God today, and we won't be able to do it. I'll have to try again tomorrow. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what you've brought to the table, that we have a Father in heaven who says, I get to choose who gets my inheritance. I get to choose who gets to be part of my family. And he's willing, ready, and able to bring you in. Do you have a relationship with Jesus? Is your hope in him? Is your hope laid up for you in heaven for all eternity? Or is it something that could be gone tomorrow? Would you bow your heads?